heaven came down and glory filled my shorts. We'd stand in that back row and let loose with that shorts. Man, we got in trouble for that. But anyways. <laughs> Say, Pastor, you shouldn't be like that. You're right. That was terrible. Boy, we got in trouble for that. Guys, it was terrible. Come on. You got to admit, when you're a teenager, that was pretty clever when you was a teenager. You know what I mean? You say, Pastor, what's your problem? I'm just like you. That's why when God called me to preach, I was the most surprised guy in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, the first sermon I ever preached, a whole busload of people got from our church and went to hear me preach at a rescue mission. There was like 45 elderly ladies in our church, and all of them had taught me in Sunday school. And they, after I got done preaching, they said, well, maybe he did call you. I don't know. <laughs> I was encouraged. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Will you do that? Genesis chapter 3. I enjoy laughing. How about you? Wouldn't you rather laugh than cry? Every day, wouldn't you? Life is so sad. I was making hospital visits on Friday afternoon. I was down at the children's hospital and a little lady was on the phone and she said, I just found out my three-year-old has a brain tumor. Man, I just stopped that thing right there and I said, we're going to pray right now. I led her in prayer and asked the Lord to take care of that little boy. The nurse was sitting there so surprised and when we got off, she said, you know, that's the nicest thing I think anybody could ever do. I don't know if it was or not, but I'll tell you what, that little lady needed some prayer. It's sad, isn't it? Man, that's horrible, isn't it? Well, we're in Genesis chapter 3, and I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 3, and I want to just pick out a couple of verses that I'm going to read that I want you to stand, if you would, and if you'll stand just for a, for a moment, we're going to read a couple of verses and let you sit back down. Will you do that? All right, look at verse 7. I want you to read verse 7 and verse 8, and then I'll read a little bit more. Would that be okay? All right, you ready? Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from his presence amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Be seated. I want to talk for a few moments about this subject this morning, God's great desire for us. God's great desire for us. You know, one of Bev's, fellas, put that picture up there, will you? One of Bev's big desires is to go see this right here. She was talking the other day and she was saying, I want to go to Europe and I want to go to Rome and I want to go see the Sistine Chapel. That's the Sistine Chapel. Can you believe Michelangelo worked on that? and worked on that, and worked on that. You see the section right over here? It's got the God stretching out to touch Adam's hand. Do you see that? Good. You got another picture? Is it closer? There it is. That's God the Father carried on a cloud with cherubims, and he's pushing God to Adam, and all Adam has to do to touch God is to Lift a finger. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's amazing when you stop and think about it, how many times we as individuals think that God is so far away. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like maybe in your prayer life that maybe God doesn't hear you? You ever felt like that when you went to church that maybe there was something missing? Come on. You ever read your Bible in your private devotional time and 
say, well, you know, it just doesn't quite do it. You know, I think all of us have wondered about God being close. Is God close to me? That's a question I think sometimes we often wonder about. And Michael Angelo, he basically was, I think, painting a picture that showed that very concept. How close is God? You know, when you stop and think about it, the closeness of God is as close as a prayer. Or in the painting, it's as close as Adam pushing his finger up. And yet, so many times as Christians, we, we struggle with, is God really there? Is God really close to me? We used to sing a song back before I got in trouble in the choir called, This Is My Father's World. It's an old song. It says, he shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. The everywhere-ness of God is sometimes hard to comprehend. It, it, it's very difficult at times when we read passages like Psalm 19, verse 1, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night he shows knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And when you read the Bible, the Bible seems to think that, that God speaks through burning bushes. Or God can speak through the brain of a donkey. I've heard that one several times. Sometimes God just uses a still small voice. Yet God can speak to you while you're cooking. Or through small talk. Or storytelling. Or fishing. Or flowers. It's amazing how God can speak. When you talk about God's great desire, it all starts in the garden. God came down in the cool of the day, the Bible says. Adam and Eve joined the presence of God every day. The word cool of the day there is the idea in the Hebrew of breeze. Hebrew is such a picturesque language. It's just the idea of, of breeze. When the wind began to blow, when the sun started to go down, God would show up. And God would walk in the garden. And you know the Bible doesn't tell us much about that. Maybe it was like over there in Genesis chapter 18 when, when God appeared unto Abraham in, in human form. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Was God a presence? Was he an aura? Was he like a man? I don't know. But for sure they knew the presence of God. For sure they knew the voice of God. And every day they experienced God's presence. I had a great experience this week. I got to see a young man I hadn't seen in about 20 years. Maybe 25 years. And he was, the last time I saw him, he was young. He was in his 20s. And he was moving from Knoxville, Tennessee, out to California to start a church. And he had two little girls that were just so pretty. They had, one of them had bright red hair. I mean, just beautiful hair. And they spent the night with us a night or two. And we fed them. We'd been family friends for years and years and years. My wife used to carry him to school in the car. Uh, back in California years ago when he was just a little boy. I'm talking elementary school. Now he's 46 years old. And he called me the other day. He said, hey, Phil, he said, you buy your church anywhere? And I said, well, that's exactly where I'm going. I'll be there in a few minutes. And I'll never forget, he, he, he said, well, I'm in your church parking lot. He said, come on. He said, well, go get something to eat. Now you're speaking my song here now. 
He said, let's go down to Hattie B's. I always heard of Hattie B's. By the way, if you haven't ever eaten there, if you don't like hot chicken, don't go. It's that East Nashville hot chicken. And so as we were going along, we got to talking, and he was telling me about his church. By now, he's started a church, and by now, he runs a, a bunch of people, has three services on Sunday morning. And he's doing a fantastic job. And those little girls that stayed at my house many years ago are grown and married. Think about that. And he took out his phone. He said, let me show you a picture. And he, he showed me a picture of a baby. He said, and he told me, he said, Julie, and he gave me the little girl's name. And I, you know, it's been since Thursday. I can't remember. But anyway, Tuesday. And he said, this is her daughter. My grandchild. And for the next couple of minutes, boom, 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 boom. We looked at one picture after another. And he began to talk about that grandchild. And he about drove me nuts because I have eight. He has one. And he thinks his kids are the only ones that are gifted. And I know better than that. And we went through the, all of those pictures. And we looked at all of that stuff. And I was, I was thinking about my sermon and thinking about this part of my message this morning. I thought about the fact that, you know, I know that God doesn't have a cell phone, but I guarantee you this, if he did, every one of our pictures would be on his cell phone. Amen. And I wouldn't be surprised that he wears those angels out in heaven and he says, hey, let me show you this one over here. This kid right here, now he's doing great. Don't you think that God's kind of like that? Don't you think that God loved Adam? Don't you think that God was proud of his handiwork? Don't you think that God looked at the magnificence of his creation and mankind was the crowning jewel of everything that he had made? And every day God had the privilege of walking when the breeze came, when the wind began to blow, God would come down. And I don't know if it was in bodily form. I don't know if it was a presence. But it was like God could be felt in the bushes and the trees and God would show up and man and woman would talk to God. And God's presence was real. It wasn't like Adam had to reach a finger up to touch the presence of God. God was there every day about the same time when the sun went down, when the wind began to blow. God would show up in the Garden of Eden and have fellowship and talk. You imagine eavesdropping on some of those conversations that God must have had with Adam? Think about that. But the problem was man sinned. The scripture tells us, if you'll look back in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that God calls unto Adam and he says, where art thou? Now can I help you with something? You, you got a real problem if you don't read this the correct way. God never asks questions for information. Because God knows everything. God always asks questions for us to think about information so that we'll think about what's going on. And that's what he's doing with Adam. And the Bible says, and he said, I heard their voice in the garden and I was afraid. By the way, first time in the Bible you find any fear. First time. And the scripture says, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Has thou eaten of the tree that I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now the amazing thing is God asked him point blank, did you eat of the tree? And you know what? He's given Adam a chance to own up to what he did. And you know what the problem is with all of us? That's the hardest thing in the world. We're all victims. We all have extenuating circumstances. We all have, you know, there's a reason why I am the way I am. It's not my fault. And if you read this carefully, he basically evades the answer that God wants. It's a pretty simple answer. Did you eat? Yes. But he never admits it. Ends up blaming Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on. 
Yeah. And from then on, we wonder why God is so far away. We wonder if God's really there. We wonder if God really hears our prayers, and yet God treats Adam with all graciousness and mercy. What's God's desire to spend time with us? What's God's desire to fellowship with us? What does God want with everyone in this room? To come in the breezy time of the afternoon and to fellowship. You know, one of the great promises that God makes, take your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. When we talk about promises in the scriptures, Isaiah 43 says, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flame will not scorch you, for I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know, the central promise of the Bible isn't, I'll forgive you, even though that's great. The central promise of the Bible is, I'll be with you. You know, it's said over and over again. It's the most frequent promise in the scriptures. I will be with you. Listen to the Bible. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, be not afraid for them that the Lord God, he is he that goeth goeth with thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts was with you, the God of Jacob. He's our refuge, Selah. The Bible says in Psalm 91, verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yea, I will hold, uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. You see, before Adam and Eve ever sinned and needed forgiveness, they were promised God's presence. God said, I will come and I will fellowship and I will walk with you during the cool of the day. And when you read the scriptures, God does the same thing with Noah and he does the same thing with Enoch and he does the same thing with Abraham and he does the same thing with Sarah and he does the same thing with Jacob and he does it with Joseph and he does it with Moses and he does it with David. He does it with Amos. He does it with Mary. He does it with Paul. Over and over again, God says, I'm here. I'll help you. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because it's the reason we have courage. You see, if God is with us, we don't need to be terrified. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, you don't have to fear death. Why? Because he's there. He's with us. God gave Israel the tabernacle. He gave them the Ark of the Covenant. He gave them manna. He gave them the temple. He gave them the pillar of cloud. He gave them uh, one for fire. And, and it was almost like God was, was putting post-it, post-it notes everywhere saying, hey, bottom line, I am here. And when Jesus left, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that wherever you go, he'll go with you. Jesus was saying, I'll be with you always, even until the end of time. It's the reason we have courage. It's the reason we have calm. Some people seem to get a knack for sensing the presence of God. I was reading this week about a family that has a daughter that, who's five years old. 
And she says, I know that Jesus lives in my heart because when I put my hand on my chest, I can feel him walking around in there. <laughs> Sophie Cavanetti is a researcher who pioneered a study of spirituality in young children, and she finds that children often have an amazing perception that far surpasses what they've already been taught. One little three-year-old daughter raised in an atheistic family with no church contact at all, no Bible in the home, asked her father this question. She says, where did the world come from? And he answered that in the strictly naturalistic scientific terms. And when he finally got done with his explanation, he said, well, there are some people that believe that it came from a very powerful being and they call him God. At this, the little girl started dancing around the room. He said, what are you dancing for? She said, it's him. It's him. It's him. Anne Lamont was raised by a devout atheist. Anne Lamont... came to Christ at a very early age. But then she began to backslide in her faith. And she began to talk about that inner radar for the presence of God, detecting God in, his, in her life. And she said, you know, the hardest thing about being away from God is that gap that gap that I felt. Dallas Willard used to tell a story, I've told this at many funerals, about the man whose wife died and he had a five-year-old son and that little five-year-old son obviously missed his mother. And he would come in at night and he would lay down in the bed with his daddy and he said, Daddy, I'm, I'm homesick for Mama. And his daddy said, God's taken her to heaven. We can't bring her back. But God's still there. God still loves us. And the little boy would reach his little hand over in the bed, and he would feel until he could feel his daddy's face. And he'd ask his daddy, he said, Daddy, would you, would you turn your face towards me? Daddy would have to situate himself in such a way that the little boy could feel that his face was turned, to him, turned towards him. And finally he would say, now I can go to sleep because your face is turned towards me. And he said that night that man got out of that bed. He walked to the window and he looked out at the stars. And he asked this question. He said, God, is your face turned towards me? Can I assure you this morning that God's face is turned towards us? I love that ironic blessing that Moses gives in Numbers chapter 6. It says, the Lord bless thee, the Lord keep thee, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. Yes, God is turned towards us. God has his face. You say, Pastor, how do you have calm during the storm? If God's watching, it'll be okay. You say, Pastor, you're a little spooky today. Well, let me be real honest with you. God wants his presence to be real to us. God wants us to live our life. His great desire is that we know that he's there because he sees a life. When we get to that point that we know that he's there, that his presence is real, we have courage, we have calm. That's the way he wants us to live. That's the only way you face the trials, the tribulations. God, is your face turned towards me? And God said, it never isn't. It always is. Well, let me show you this in the Bible. 
All right? I, was, I told you I was going to preach a sermon like this, and I'm going to kind of run through this. I want to show you how this works in the Scriptures, because it does work in the Scriptures, okay? Let's talk about God's privilege that he gives to us, which is himself. And let's see how that works in the Bible. Let's look in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28, and we're going to look down to about verse number 11. We're going to look at Jacob. How many of you remember a guy named Jacob in the Bible? His name, Jacob, means what? Do you remember? Deceiver, supplanter, cheater. Here's a Phil Martin amplified. Failure. Now how many can identify? Say, Pastor, I don't like being called a liar, a cheater. <laughs> how about a failure? Have you ever failed? Okay. We got old Jacob. He's no spiritual giant. He was raised a mama's boy. Yes or no? He had a hairy brother. I don't care how you slice it. Esau was hairy. And if you remember the story, it comes down to, I, I want some chili. By the way, next Sunday is chili. Don't forget that. Chili and cornbread. It's going to be great. Ought to be a, a very joyous afternoon. But anyways. <laughs> the old man says, bring some chili in. And so mama goes out and helps Jacob deceive her her husband, she puts hair on his arms. How many remember the story? Hair on the back of his neck. She makes up some chili out of some lamb. And she doctors it up so it's just the way he likes it. And oh, blind Isaac doesn't recognize that it's Jacob. He should have. He's always been a cheater. The Bible says that his brother got so angry that he begins to chase him. How many remember the story? Now, we're in Genesis 28, verse 11. The Bible says, and he lighted upon a certain place. Underline that in your Bible, a certain place. It's a kind of a Hebrew way of saying no place in particular. And he tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took up the stones of the place and he put him as a pillow, and he laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. Now, how many remember the story of Jacob's ladder? By the way, it's not Jacob climbing the ladder. We used to sing Jacob's ladder, and he got the wrong person climbing. We're going to climb. No, you're not going to climb up Jacob's ladder. It was for angels. Come on, read the story. The Bible goes on, and it says that the angels of God were ascending and descending, and it, and the Bible says that there becomes that a special place because it's that night he has a dream. And he sees these angels. And look down about verse 13. It says, And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac and the land wherein thou liest. To thee I will give it into your seed. And behold, I am with you. Notice that. Behold, I am with you and will keep you in all the places wherever you go and will bring thee again into this land. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Verse 16, Jacob wakes up out of his sleep and he says, surely, notice this, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Now let me help you a question here. Look up here just for a second. How you like your Bible? How many have ever known a time after the fact that God was there and you didn't know it? You ever have that happen to you? I think there's some people that are so spiritually stunned that maybe they don't ever know when God shows up. But here he says, hey, God was here and I didn't even know it. Let's keep reading. And he was afraid and he said, how dreadful is this place? There is none other but the house of God, the gate of heaven. Now, he has this weird sleep, and when he wakes up, it's like he sees things the right way. It's kind of like the prodigal son, when he came to himself, when he finally realized what was going on, he says, hey, the, the, the servants at my dad's house are treated better than I am. So he kind of wakes up out of this fog, and as he wakes up, uh, the Bible says, the striking phrase is, I knew it not. I wasn't aware of it. You see, apparently it's possible for God to be there and us not catch it or catch on to it. And he calls this place Bethel. Bethel is the house of God, the place where God is present. And by the way, this transforms him. The presence of God in his life transforms him because this certain place 
of nondescript becomes a special place called Bethel. This is where God's presence is. Catch that. Well, go to chapter 33. Let's go a little further in the story. Jacob finally, after about 20 years, needs to make amends and reconcile with his brother. His brother's chasing him. His brother wants to kill him. Now remember the story. And so he's getting ready to go see his brother, and he gets to a place where he wrestles with an angel. How many remember that story in the Bible? I don't have time to tell you the whole story of Jacob, but the, the angel, I think it was the angel of the Lord, I think it was Old Testament Jesus Christ, touches him on the side, and they're wrestling at the break of day, and the angel says, I gotta go. He says, let me go. He says, don't, I won't do it until you bless me. He touches his leg, puts his leg out of joint, and he leaves. How many remember the story? And so when you read the story and you pick it up again, now we got Jacob and Esau about verse number four. And the Bible says in chapter 33 that he begins to send over a bunch of stuff. Now let me help you with this just for a second. Look up here just for a second. Uh, he's he's going to send over 2,000 of this and 5,000 of that. And he goes down through the whole deal. <laughs> and one cat. No, he didn't send a cat. But anyways, <laughs> did you know a cat's really hard to find in the Bible? I'm not just saying that, but you go ahead and search it out when you get home today. You can find dogs, but you don't find many cats. I'm, I don't know why. I don't, I don't write the Bible. But anyways, he sends over all of these animals. Is that correct? Come on, we got one cat lover down here who's going to kill me afterwards. I know that. <laughs> but when he sends it over, Look at 33.4. Esau ran to met Jacob and he embraces him. He throws around his arms around his neck and he kisses him and the Bible says, and they wept. This reconciliation goes really well. Let's keep reading. Their whole childhood, they'd been enemies. Two decades of living as stranger, now they're brothers. And he makes one of the great statements in the Bible. Look at the next verse. When I now have seen thy face, verse 10, it's though I had seen the face of who? Boy, I want to be really honest with you. You spend some time in the presence of God, God will make your worst enemy look like him. God will take the person you hate the most in life and you'll see the good in them. Isn't that amazing? As you go through the story, and as we keep kind of going along, I, I got to kind of skip some spots I'd like to talk about. But I, you remember the story of Elisha? You remember Elisha's got his servant with him and and the king of Syria comes down with his army and the king of Syria surrounds him and the guy goes and he looks through the window and he looks outside and he says, holy moly, you see all those guys out there? Their armies are incredible. How many remember the story? And Elisha prays and he says, God, open his eyes and help him to see. All of a sudden, God opens his eyes and he sees chariots of angels surrounding him. And he saw the spiritual realm and he was blown away by what he saw. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say to us this morning? Let me, let me try to catch you real quick. I think God's always there. I don't think there's a time when God isn't there. I think the problem doesn't lie with God. I think the problem lies with us. us. And every once in a while, my problem is like that servant. I don't have the spiritual eyeglasses to see what God is doing. Samuel is one of the great stories in the Bible. Man, I'm already out of time. Let me, do, let me just tell it to you real quick. Remember he goes to Eli and he says, Eli, did you call me? Remember that? 
And he comes back the second time. Eli, did you call me? Finally, the third time, Eli's getting kind of tired of it. And he says, listen, when, when he calls you, when you hear that voice again, he says, he says, just speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And he said, you make sure that you tell me what that guy says. Finally, the voice comes back the third time. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that some of us sometimes are so spiritually dwarfed that God has to say it two or three times before we ever figure out it's him. You say, why is that, Pastor? Let me show you. I've got to wrap my sermon up. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. I don't want to leave this all Old Testament. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn there real quick. You say, Pastor, why aren't we more spiritually in tune? Why doesn't our GPS work? Why doesn't our, our ears hear? Why don't our eyes see? What is it that if God is always there, why don't we know it? All right, you ready? Look at 519. Look what it says. Quench not what? Quench not the Spirit. Let me read this in several different versions. Don't suppress the Spirit. Don't try to stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't turn away from God's Spirit. Do not pull, the, do not pull out of the Spirit's fire. Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. You know, to be quite honest with you, I think this whole spiritual life can come down to a single command. Jesus says, out of my belly flows rivers. John chapter 7, we just studied this. There's a river that flows into Jerusalem. Remember that? He says, out of my blood, out of my belly flows rivers of water. And he wasn't speaking about a literal river. He says, it's the spirit that he spoke of. You know what the problem is with most of us? You know why we don't know that God is there? You want to know why we don't see him, why we can't hear him? Because there are times in our life where we quench it. Now what you want me to do is to preach all those quenching things that we do. But I don't believe that's what the bottom line is. I think it's different for everybody. There are things in my life that I know that I do at times that I quench the spirit. And the reason I don't know that God's there and the reason I don't hear his voice and the reason I can't see him behind where he's at is because the bottom line is Phil's a knucklehead. And what I may be doing may not be the same thing that you're doing. But let me be real honest with you. We all know when we quench the spirit. Come on, all six of us say amen. amen. Yeah, we do. You ever hear that still small voice that says, you know, you probably shouldn't have said that. Yes or no? You ever hear that small voice that says, that's probably not a good thing to think about. Or, or, or maybe the spirit says, when are you going to change the television? You say, Pastor, why don't we know why God is there and why he's working and what he's doing? Because like a bunch of dummies, we quench the channel that allows us to see all that. We quench the spirit that gives us that insider look. He's the one that helps us to hear his voice. He's the one that helps us to see his presence. He's the one that helps us to understand what he's doing. You say, Pastor, I, I, I would like to really know God. I would really like to know God's presence in my life. I would really like to know what God's doing. Well, you can. It's not like it's something he doesn't want for us. That's his great desire. God says, I will be with you everywhere you go till the end of the age. You say, well, Pastor, what do we have to do? Well, show me that picture one at the very end. You guys got it? 
I think it might be as simple as that. I don't think we're trying to get God to do something he doesn't want to do. That's what his whole purpose is, to get to know us and to be with us and have his presence real to us. And all we got to do is, okay. If you're saved today, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can live walking in the Spirit. You can enjoy his presence everywhere you go. Guy and his wife went to Vegas and they were renting a car. And so the guy told his wife, says, man, this, this place has got classic cars. They got a 57 Chevy. Let's rent that 57 Chevy. And his wife says, man, reminds us of the old days. How many of you remember 57 Chevys? All right. And they got in there and they're sitting there in that 57. Remember those big round steering wheels? How many remember? Man, I mean, you could... Come on. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And listen to this. They had bench seats. Not bucket seats. Not skinny little compartments where they squeeze your legs together like a girl. They actually had bench seats. So she slides in the car, he's in the car, he starts it up, he starts to drive. And he looks at his wife and he says, what are you doing on the other side of the car? Don't you remember what we used to do? Slide over here with me. And she looked at her husband, she says this one little word, she says, well, who moved? Who moved? You know, I wonder at times if God doesn't look at us and say, why did you move? We used to walk around in the cool of the day. We enjoyed each other's fellowship. It was great. You could hear my voice. I could hear your voice. We could talk. We could commune. It was fantastic. And every day we had our time. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, why did you move? Why did you move? That's where I'm going to go with this series, by the way. Next week, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha. All right? Next week, we're going to see one that's all concerned about keeping the house clean. And we got one that's all concerned about sitting at Jesus' feet. You listening to me? I really do believe this. God's closer than what we think. God wants to be a part of our life. And he will be if we don't quench him, suppress him, put the fire out. That's the idea. Now, be honest this morning. Be honest. Who moved? We did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us this morning. God, help us to desire you. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, the next few weeks, I pray that we'll know you in an intimate way. God, help us to realize that that's what you want. That's what you designed. That's what you've always intended for us. And Lord, you're still there. But we moved. God, speak to us. Speak to us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many Christians would say, Pastor, you know what? I know that God's there. I know the everywhereness of God. I believe that. But I haven't. I haven't communed with him in a while. I haven't fellowshiped like I should. And I want to know God's presence in my life. I want to know what it's like to really 
walk in his presence. Brother Lawrence, a monk that washed dishes, practiced what he called the presence of God in his life. Everything that he did, every, every task that he completed in life, it was just as if God was there. He is there. How many Christians this morning say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to know God's presence in my life like I used to or maybe like I've never known before. And Pastor, I want you to remember me this morning as you close. I want that in my life. I, I want to know God. I want to know that he's there. I want that calm and that courage that he gives when we know that he's working in our life. How many Christians this morning say, Pastor, remember me as you close? Would you lift your hand today? Would you lift your hands all across this room? Many hands in every section. Heavenly Fathers, preach, preach to my heart today. Lord, preach to our congregation. God, help us to recognize that you, you haven't moved. You're still there. You want to be a part of our life. You want our, your presence to be real, just like it was to Adam and Eve. And Lord, the thing is, I honestly believe it can be. And it doesn't need to be a rarity. It should happen all the time. God, help us to know you. Help us to be still and know that you're God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Two last questions. The first one is this. How many can say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm God's child. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. How many can have testimony of that today in your life? Will you lift your hand today? Would you lift it high? You can put it down. Is there one today that would say, Pastor, will you remember me? Pray for me today. Pray for me today. I'm not sure that I'm safe, but I'd like to be. Is there one today I can close in prayer with this morning? Can I pray for you today? Is there anybody like that? Would you lift it high and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Pray for me this morning. Anyone like that this morning? A little hand there. Anyone else? Quickly. Anyone else? Quickly. Heavenly Father, speak to these ones that have raised their hand. I pray for this little boy here in the front and one in the back. God, I pray that they know that Jesus Christ is their Savior today. God, speak to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Look up here just for a second. You know, what I spoke today is not something that's mystical. It's not. I don't think you have to live in a monastery on top of a mountain and wear white sheets and eat birdseed. I don't believe that. I honestly believe God wants us to know him and walk with him and enjoy his presence and have fellowship with him every day. I believe that. And I think so many of us were saved, we're sanctified, and we're just kind of enduring faithful to the end. That's not the Christian life God wants for us. Man, listen, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Let's stand. We're going to sing now. It won't be long. If there's a decision you didn't make, I encourage you to make it. Let's sing. And as you sing, come if you will. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you that today we'd recognize that you are real in our life. 
Lord, help us not to be Christians that on rare occasions recognize that you're there. And God, may our life be in step with yours. May we not quench the spirit in our life. May we not suppress it, extinguish the flame. And God, help us to hear your voice and to know your presence and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Our ushers are in the back. It's time for our morning offering. As they're coming, we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, bless now the gift and the giver. As we give, Lord, help us to recognize what a privilege it is to give to you maybe just a little bit of what you blessed us with this week. God, I pray that we'd give today with a heart that's filled with grace. And Lord, help us to do it not because we have to, not by compulsion, but God, help us to do it because we do it out of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Salvation 
Right, we have several things that are going on. If you're interested in Wednesday night dinner, you can sign up for that in the back. Uh, also, next Saturday, which is the 20th, we're going to be having our Metro Blitz. If there's anybody here that you would like to be involved in that, you need to make sure you sign up in the back. Put down your email address so we can let you know what project you'll be working in. As well as, uh, if there's some of you that you know of somebody in your community that could use some help, you could fill out a card in the back and let us know how we could be helpful to them and uh, just uh, be, be faithful in doing that. Tonight in Awana's is backwards night. That's going to be interesting. Now, you might get your kids prepared for that ahead of time. You, you, there could be some major accidents there. All right, um, anyway, uh, next Sunday is going to be our Chili and Cornbread Fellowship. You can drop that off in the gym before the service, uh, but uh, please participate in that. One other thing that we want to make sure you're aware, aware of is on October 28th, that's next Sunday evening, we're going to be having, uh, that would be two weeks from, from today, uh, we're going to be having communion in the evening service. Uh, if you're interested in being that, go ahead and make plans for that. And on October 31st, which is a Halloween night, we're going to be having trunk or treat here at the church. Thank you. Seniors, we are going to the Catfish House on October 27th. If you would like to ride the bus, be here at 3.30, and the bus will leave here at 3.30. But if you'd like to go up to the Catfish House and meet us up there at 4 o'clock, and there's a crowd going, so sign up so we know that you're coming and uh, we can tell them the number. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning and how it spoke to us. Lord, we thank you that you are so near to us, and you've promised never to leave us. Lord, help each person here to know that this week and feel your presence and show forth Christ in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The